Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome, welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. I'm so excited to be here. I mean, I'm always excited for this podcast. I love it, but I'm extra excited this time around. I was recently in a comedy festival, Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival in San Francisco. And while I was there, I got to interview and meet Portland stand-up Jenna Vesper. And we had an amazing conversation. They actually live-streamed it on Mutiny Radio, but we're bringing it to you here for the podcast today. So please welcome Jenna Vesper, y'all. Jenna, you live in Portland now? I do. I do. I am. I was born and raised in Napa, California, though. So it's kind of nice coming back to San Francisco and like having little memories of my childhood, you know, come at me all of a sudden. How long uh, were you in Napa? I was born and raised there. I left when I was, I was on the road moving to Portland on my 18th birthday. Oh, wow. Like celebrated my 18th birthday on the road. Was it the kind of place that you were like, I hate it. I just have to get out. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a really, it's like a smallish town and what have you, but it's, it's just very conservative and just nothing really to it unless you're rich or you love wine. And I am neither of those things. So Portland was definitely a nice place to go to because you can be a little bit more broke. And if you like beer, perfect place. Then you're in the fucking perfect place for it. Yeah, y'all like beer a little too much for yes. my taste. I just, I'm like, just give me a beer. And they're mm-hmm. like, what kind? And it's uh, <laughs> what percentage? And it's microbrewery and what? I don't know, yeast or ale. I don't. I'm, I don't know, because I just drink. Same with the wine, too. Like, I've been to, mostly I've been to Napa for bachelorette parties, so that's why I'm like, how do, I'm like, where do the people who live here come from? Because I just feel like it's just a bunch of tourists and and drunk girls weekends and bachelor and bachelorette parties and, um, I guess, weddings and and things that happen. And I was like, I wouldn't want to live here. And like every, like during the week, it's probably awesome. And then on the weekends, you're like, oh my God, if I hear one girl scream one more time, woo, like I'll lose my shit. But I would imagine that that would actually be the case in New Orleans, too. Yeah. Walking down the street is bunch of people partying yeah bourbon street yeah bourbon street that's yeah that's the place where when i have friends visit i'll i walk them down one time and that's it and if you want to go back you turn around and go back and i'm going to keep going the other way (laughs) but yeah we do have a a lot of that we keep it in a contained area yeah definitely which is nice for sure napa is just i mean it's changed so i haven't been in like eight years so i'm about to go back after this festival because it's definitely no way i can come down this close and not go see my family they would hate me forever but i'm not really looking forward to it i mean i've obviously stayed away for eight years but i've heard it's changed and gotten its version of like gentrification in a way (laughs) so it's going to be interesting to go there because it was already pretty um you know privileged area but also didn't have anything of interest though there's a couple of breweries now right it was just always like rich people just living a life but it was never there really wasn't anything like fun to do or cool bar to go to or anything but now apparently they have all that stuff so it's just going to be kind of 
probably interesting and I don't know but I mean honestly if like I can get a good espresso or like a macchiato while I'm there I'll be very happy because beforehand it's always just it was just like Starbucks maybe yeah no like coffee culture that I'm used to from Portland oh my god which yeah. is showing my privilege as well I'm sure <laughs> are there things to do in Napa for kids like I like I said I've only um, done very very smoke adult drugs <laughs> at the uh, skate park i said smoke drugs yeah <laughs> i was like did you do that <laughs> or did you just hear about the cool kids doing that <laughs> clearly i smoked too many drugs that now i can't <laughs> form words no i didn't really do a ton of the drugs i smoked pot when i was younger but that was it but there is a huge meth problem in napa uh, a lot of people don't think that because they think it's just so like affluent and nice but same, yeah, my hometown I'm from Santa Clarita okay, outside yeah. of L.A., and mm-hmm. I learned that later on, that it's apparently a huge meth place. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I think a lot of people, at least in Napa, they were trying to live outside of their means. Like, the people who, who weren't quite, like, from wealth um, wanted to live like that, and so there was just a lot of delusional, like, living and trying to be this, and it, it affected people, you know? And then I think drugs were just there to kind of ease the pain, because so many people... I mean, maybe I'm just speaking from experience, Pretty much everyone in my family, other than maybe my grandparents, used meth. <laughs> I guess too, you have like the space, like you can create meth. There's like places. Oh, to, it's harder. So it's harder bad. to do it in a city. City, you yeah. know. I mean, Portland has its issues as well in that sense, but I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit more chill up there. People are more apt to just smoke pot and drink, like you said, yeah. just drink and stay inside and be depressed in that way. <laughs> <laughs> Depression with like a little bit more of a a realistic look at it versus like let me just try to act like I'm better than everyone else I don't know yeah so are are your parents from there too like are you Mm -hmm. like third fourth generation Napa yeah yeah I'd say probably second or third generation yeah my grandparents I think were the ones that moved there maybe but I don't know much about them other after that when did your parents like work with wine I no. Is that, okay, I was like, what are their jobs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are no. they there? My mother worked for the hospital. My father was a construction worker. So we lived a pretty, like, just normal middle class life. Lower middle class, I guess. Nothing, you know, too fancy. But it was just, I knew that, like, if I wanted to live on my own or go to college or do anything like that, I would have to leave because we didn't have the means to do any of that and to, like, live to, you know, live with my partner at the time would have been impossible. So we moved to Portland because there was family nearby on his side, and I don't know, we just kind of went there, and it was I was able to like go to a trade school and start a career for a while until that all blew up. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> okay, so you get to Portland, you're 18, you're mm-hmm. with a partner? Mm-hmm. My long? high school sweetheart at okay. the time, yeah. How long were you all together? Uh, seven and a half long years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like from when you were kids, or? Mm-hmm. Like 16. I started dating, yeah, and then seven and a half years after that. That's a, that's a little longer than any relationship I've had. And oh, I'm 34 yeah, now, so oh that's gosh. pretty impressive. <laughs> Thanks. It was it was not the best relationship. I learned a lot, you know. Got you out of myself. Yeah, I got me. We yeah, we moved up there. We had this a lot of the same goals and everything. He was just kind of a uh, emotional abuser and um, kind of a shithead. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. No, it's fine. 
parts. I'm trying to think like the funny parts. I've been trying. Okay, so like you don't have to think of the fun. No. Everyone comes on here and they're so like, I'm trying funny. to be so funny, and I'm like, it's it's not. It, it might be funny, mm-hmm. and we might, you know, it might be sad. Like we can have all kinds of whatever <laughs> conversations we want to have. There's no uh, parameters. True. I just it's interesting because I do eventually. I want to try to talk about because we got married at one point. I do want to try to talk about my like marriage and divorce on stage in some way one day, but I've yet to like figure out a way to make it funny. Other than that, when I tell people I've been married, sometimes they are like very shocked by that because I mean the viewers can't, the listeners can't see me right now. I'm just very like kind of eccentric. I, I'm 32, but I look, I feel like I look like I'm trying to be 21. <laughs> I think, and I and I kind of just like live a very like. YOLO-esque type life. <laughs> like, I, I live in a living room right now. I'm just, like, no car, no aspirations, no career. And uh, people are just like, whoa, you were married? And you, like, had a real job and a house and a whole thing? And I was like, yeah, but it was I was really unhappy. <laughs> how, how old were you when you got married? 24, I think, yeah. Yeah, see, because I, I think about, like, who I was with when I was 24. I'm like, man, if I'd gotten married, I would, we would, I mean, we broke up anyway. Mm-hmm. But, like, if we gotten married, we probably would have tried to stay together longer because oh, yeah. we were married. And that I also, pressure. you know, I think, too, like, my parents' generation, like, they were married. My mom was 23 when they got married. And my dad was 25. And my dad's like, we were the oldest ones of our friends that weren't married. So they ended up getting married. Um, and he's like, I was 25 and the oldest one of my friends. And I'm like, that's oh. insane. I'm 34 and I have tons of friends that aren't married. Exactly. And it's a very very common thing mm-hmm. and I, I don't feel bad about it. I live with my girlfriend now. We've been together almost two years and nobody's putting pressure on me to, you know, if, if we do decide to get married in the future, it'll be a you know, decision that we make. But I can't, you know, imagine if I had been married in my 20s. I think that's such a different experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really was for sure. And there was pressure from my family to do it. And it was definitely a mistake. I had a total breakdown like a week before the wedding. I remember like and crying and figuring and thinking like, oh, I don't want to do this. But like the invitations were already sent. People were coming. You yeah. know, it was like a whole thing. So I don't know. One day I'll think about I'm actually, I mean, I've processed it. I've moved on. It's been about seven years, six years. I'm bad at math. So like I'm not even like really traumatized by it. But it's just like I want to try to find somehow to make it funny. But yeah, it hasn't come to me. It, it'll it'll come. There's a lot of experiences that I have that I try to take them back. Mm-hmm. You know, through comedy mm-hmm. and through the funny. Amazing. And sometimes you try and it just like it doesn't work out. Yeah, that's real. That's but you'll real. you'll get there. And I'm yeah. looking forward to <laughs> one day hearing me talk about yeah. my, my shitty ex husband. I was gonna ask, and if you don't have an answer for this, it's fine because I'm not trying to put any boxes no. on it. I like to ask him, you know, how you identify. Yeah. I, um, for the longest time have, since I was like probably 14, have identified as bi, but I would say in the last year, year and a half, come to like identifying more as like pansexual in the sense that as, as I've just grown as a person, I've learned and become more woke, as the kids say, to like gender not being a binary and um, me realizing, you know, all of just like being attracted to people more, you know, that now I'm like, I want to start identifying more as pansexual. I've felt nervous to do that in some ways because I don't want to like, I know as a bi person, I've had issues with not feeling welcome in certain aspects of the community for better or for worse. And I don't always like, I don't want to like come in and be like, I need all of the respect and everyone just listen to what I have to say because I don't want to do that because I have experienced the privilege of being perceived as straight my entire life. Yeah, because I don't know, I've had issues, I mean, because my, my shitty ex-husband, like, he he found my bisexuality to be, like, a turn-on, but something that he could use, and something that was, like, his in a way, and, like, we had three sons together when we were together, but with, with a f- other females, but it was all, like, by his design and his choice, and I never got to, like, have any 
saying it really and they were not great experiences and so for a long time I would still always identify as bi but that I would just like be um I have a ton of internalized misogyny because of it and well society and what have you but would just think that like oh I was only sexually attracted to women and not romantically attracted to them because they're dramatic or whatever and plus also he just kind of made me feel shitty about it and the experiences we had with other women were not focused on my pleasure yeah and maybe not even theirs i mean because he was kind of shitty that way so then i was always just like i don't know if i even am like the right kind of buy because i just couldn't really explore it yeah well society wants to put you in a box and it sounds like your ex-husband wanted to put you in a different box or a box within that box and then that doesn't allow you the mental space or capacity to really explore that on your own terms yeah and it's just like so much easier to live the you know more straight identified life and to just like pick up dudes and date dudes and be around dudes you know so it was just continuing that even after I left him I just kind of continued down that path for a while until I started yeah just exploring it more and opening up and meeting some really awesome queer people that would question me on like the internalized misogyny and the issues that I was having um probably even internalized homophobia and be like wait do you really think that way and it's like oh no I don't actually I think we overthink that. I think a lot of queer people overthink a lot of things, and I, I do, and I like to talk about it, too, because mm-hmm. we've had – there's been so much in my life where I haven't been able to talk about it that now that I'm finally able to talk about, you know, being queer and what that means and what that means for my partners and what mm-hmm. their experiences are in mine, it's, it's, it's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. You, you said at 14 you identified as bisexual. Were you coming out to people? Yeah, I came out to my mother, that... and that's pretty much it. I came out to my first ever, like, female kiss partner – weird way to say it um a girl at school that I was friends with and yeah and had my first kiss with her and then like never that's never you know that's probably as far as I went because I was also I mean I was just young and not really that sexual yet but I just knew that I was always attracted to women so I came out to my mother she was supportive I told her while she was driving though and she almost drove off the road because she was like kind of surprised by it (laughs) that was a fun moment I I definitely remember that's dangerous in Napa (laughs) she was she was actually probably high at the time because she was a drug addict but um so she was supportive of it though and then like and then I then I met my high school sweetheart when I was 16 and then he just always knew about it um so you're always open with him from the yeah and then I was always open about with every male partner that I was with for any length of time and I had some better experiences you know afterwards with like boyfriends that were more like oh that's awesome this is a part of you and if you want to explore that with you know me like let's do it in the future but never never you know not too many experiences with that. Was there any jealousy? Yeah, I think he was jealous of that. Jealous of it, that, yeah, I would want to be with somebody else and not him. I mean, but I think that boils down to, like, his own insecurities. Because he also never wanted us to have, like, a male-male threesome, you know, either. It was all just his own insecurities, for sure, about that. Because I think some of it's insecurities, and I think some of it's, like, society just telling us, like, that there are these different... Because in my mind, I'm like, it doesn't matter. But then I think with all the stuff we've been taught, especially, like, yeah, it kind of blew my mind when finally we're talking about non-binary. Yeah. Because I, you know, didn't think... Growing up, you don't think about it because you're just taught this is how it is. I mean, even for me to come out to myself, like I was always taught it was like men and women are together and Mm -hmm. I didn't have any real life role models or examples and very rarely you saw it on TV growing up. And so like things are way different now and I think things are a lot more common. Which is, I mean, it's so, it's, yeah, it's changing so much. So as far as like public, yeah, knowledge and everything, obviously people who've been living as non-binary or 
trans or you know however they want to identify for forever for a long time we just haven't talked about it much you know very openly so I remember even when I started to become more open to dating women even romantically two years ago I still was not even really like that have to like what somebody would you know somebody that would identify um as non-binary and all the different spectrums of it so I was like even then I was still just like oh I'm just I'm still just a bisexual and I still just date women and men and and then the whole like do am I attracted to women who are more like feminine or or you know masculine and identifying and all everything in between that was still such a huge struggle for me and it didn't go well I had some some friends some queer friends that didn't like my coming out process again because at that point I was like age 30 kind of coming out again because I had always just identified somebody who was just like sexually attracted to women but didn't think anything as far as romantically with them and then I basically came out again in a way of like no I'm actually interested in like like living a life that's I guess you would identify as queer and that was like a whole new thing and even though I didn't really have to come out to like you know family or anything about it and have experience any um major pushback it was still scary because I didn't know what I was doing and I still felt like I was going to fuck it up. And I did fuck it up, I think. You know, I fucked it up with some friends by not using the right terminology, not saying the right kind of stuff, uh, asking the wrong questions that maybe I could have just Googled, you know, like <laughs> that kind of shit. No, it's good you're trying to have open conversations. And... I was, and I, and I felt safe in the time that I was doing it and then it kind of bit me in the ass later. But ultimately, even... I'm still thankful for those experiences and and from the the learning that I learned from it, you know, having to like go home and like kind of clean my wounds and be like, okay, you're right. <laughs> I didn't go about that correctly and that doesn't feel good, but like I needed to go through it somehow, you know, and it was like another coming out process. So it's not going to be hundred percent perfect. I'm going to make some mistakes, you know, in the process and probably hurt people in the process, which is the shitty part, but you know. It's ever changing. I feel like it's a, you know, evolution. Yeah. If you have any intent, you know, even if asking questions, if that might bother people, like if you have good intentions, I think I mean, that's I'd like to think, but important too. But I think that's even like another thing where I still like, I'm a little nervous, like coming out and starting to be like, oh, I'm pansexual, I'm whatever. Cause I feel like I don't know enough about gender politics and everything to have like a full, super educated dialogue with somebody. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That really makes me feel nervous but to you do can't, that. You can't lose yourself in the process. You know? I know. Yeah. That's why that's why when I asked you, I'm like, I'm going to ask you how you identify. And if you don't have an answer, that's okay. I'm not yeah. trying to pinhole it. Because I've gotten into that. Like, I personally identify as lesbian. That's the mm-hmm. identity I use. I don't use dyke. I don't use queer for mm-hmm. myself. And that's just how I feel comfortable. It's how I've always felt comfortable. But I've gotten in trouble, too. Like, one of my friends, I'm like, yeah, lesbians like us. <laughs> and, like, you know, ri- like, rip her a little mm-hmm. bit. And she was like, I don't identify that way. And yeah. then I felt like such a shitbag. Yeah. But I didn't. I had good intentions, and you know, and she was realized later her response. She was like, "I'm sorry, I was like, kind of harsh with you," but she's like, "I'm very tired of that." And I'm like, "No, I understand." Oh yeah, 100%. like I didn't take it personal. I just felt bad that I made you know. But then now in the future, I try not to make mm-hmm. those assumptions. So I've learned <laughs> from some experiences. I've learned some. I continue to make the same mistakes again. But yeah, I get that too. Like I dated my first. I came out 23. Dated my first girlfriend 23 to 27. Mm-hmm. We broke wow. up, and so I'm 27 and I'm single for the first time. And I didn't know, I'd never really asked anybody out. Mm. I'd only been with one woman. Like, I didn't have any clue what I was wow. doing. And I learned by trial and error a whole bunch, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. 
to have that be like, yeah, your only experience was just kind of this one, I don't know, like this one ride, I guess, if you're looking at yeah. like an amusement park and it's just like this one thing that you did over and over again with like different, you know, fun things, I'm sure. Yeah. Three years-ish, you know. But then to kind of like get off that ride and be like, wait. What, what what now? Yeah, it was, you know, she was a former Jehovah's Witness, so she had her own issues oh, yeah. with, like, she wasn't out, and that was, that was and what ended up really, like, killing everything, because I couldn't, I was out, and it really put me back in the closet, mm. and I felt really, it was really uncomfortable. Yeah. But funny story, uh, now, yeah, so that right after her, I dated another girl that I met online, because that's what you, <laughs> that's where you go, mm-hmm. uh, when you don't know how to, like, talk to women, um, and anyway, so the second girl I dated and the my first girlfriend are now together. Oh my gosh. And I'm trying to write a joke about it other than just saying that, other than just saying this is a thing that happened um, that I have to see on Facebook occasionally. <laughs> it fits all the stereotypes. <laughs> it really does. But like, that's the thing, right? I don't know. I, I, Dan, I listen to Dan Savage a lot and he talks about that when like straight callers will call in and they'll be like, I just can't believe somebody, my friend would date somebody else that I once dated or whatever. And then he usually is like, yeah, that doesn't really happen in the gay community because you would run out of people to fuck if you cared about who fucked who and when and how, you know, like if you like made the same rules that straights usually make of like, you know, bros for foes or whatever, you never do that. It's like, then you would run out of people. And like, yeah. that's not possible. <laughs> oh, man, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I feel like Portland is a pretty, um, like, oddly small town, oddly small queer community, too. Oh, really? I thought yeah. there'd be a bigger queer it's community. It's big. I mean, I guess it's huge, but, like, it's still, that town is just so weird. Like, you just see everybody. You can't escape anything, I feel like. I went there once in, oh, God, I want to say 2004. Mm-hmm. So it's been wow. some time. I spent. A, I had a friend that lived there. I spent a weekend there. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't like it. Yeah, that's before it changed majorly okay. again. Maybe I'll have to give it another chance because I met at this festival, I met a lot of cool Portland folks, but uh-huh. I went there and it seemed like everything closed super early. Everybody was, uh, I don't know, I just didn't get a good vibe from people. Yeah. Like everyone was in a hurry. Everyone, I kind of, the dudes were taking the flannel from the women, which I didn't, oh my you know. God. Yeah, that's like still the my, same. <laughs> like my lesbian flannel. Yeah. Um, Cheers to that. I'm not a woods person, so that kind of threw me off too. But yeah. I'd be at a bar and there'd be like three things on the menu and then they'd close. You know, I'm like, you're open till two. And mm-hmm. it's like one thirty, and they're like, get out. And I'm like, I don't like no, this. No, that's still the same. That's so funny. You're right. Like, that's still definitely the same. We like, the town like drinks hard. We drink hard, but we drink hard early because we're all just like functioning alcoholics. I think we all just really like, okay. I'm going to get this fucking shit done by 10 because I do have to work in the morning. I am blacked out, but it's done early. <laughs> see, in New Orleans, we start early and we keep going. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You ever see yourself anywhere else? I do. I've been thinking about Pittsburgh because I hear a lot of nice things about it. Or going big and going to, like, New York or Chicago because I'm also um, a nanny. And that's what I do during the day. And I love doing it, but part of me is like, oh, maybe I could like go and work for like a really rich family, you know, one of those bigger cities and then have my room and board taken care of and all that stuff. It just would suck because it would hinder eventually dating because you wouldn't be able to ever bring anybody to your place of living. Um, That means they have to have a place. Exactly, which is kind of nice. And that's not always a guarantee in Portland (laughs) um, that you're going to go fuck somebody at a place they have. But I... uh, but also my dating has always been just so fucking all over the place. I haven't had like a serious relationship in almost four years. So have you been looking or is it just the yeah, way? Yeah, no, okay. I have been. And I've had like some nice, wonderful connections and moments with people that have lasted like three or four months. But 
they usually just always just gonna end somehow i don't really know uh, i was like does it just get really weird at some yeah, point no, this like the last girlfriend is it like seinfeld's where it's like one thing and you're like i can't do this I don't anymore no yeah I, the last girlfriend i was i would consider a girlfriend it still only lasted three months it was really wonderful um ultimately i knew it probably wouldn't last forever because she was very strictly monogamous and i don't believe in that i don't know exactly what i believe in but i don't want to be in a strictly monogamous relationship for the rest of my life so i was like it probably won't work out forever but i was still interested in dating her because she was wonderful and she treated me nicely but she kept saying that she wasn't good in relationships and i was like well what does that mean i'm telling you that you are because i like dating you so like can you just listen to what i'm saying she's like okay okay but then she was really nervous about uh, well, I get, long long story short, we I was like, let's go get like a dildo though, you know, to add to the bedroom. And she's like, I've never been to one of those stores before. What? She was from like, the Midwest, and she was real. Oh, I was like, did she come right out of the church? Yeah, like- I mean, kind of. And she was thirty two, I think, and had been out her whole life or most of her life, but was still just like very kind of straight and narrow about it and uh because that's not even like that wild like, no that's not no exactly <laughs> that seems to me like a very normal conversation mm-hmm. like i wouldn't have blinked an eye at that so that's she had had ones and used ones before but like it wasn't by her doing you know like she didn't go out and purchase them herself really but that's so part like, of the thing let's you go know? together yeah. so i took her to like a really great sex shop um in town and we like picked one out she picked out the color she wanted and and i helped pick out the size because I have a very tight vagina. There's jokes about it if you want to hear me online. And we bought it, and we didn't get a chance to use it that night because we had dinner plans with her two gay uncles and her mother. It was really nice. I was like, hey, let's go. Wow, let's you met the that. family. We met the family, yeah. and they were really wonderful. And then, so we didn't get a chance to use the dildo. No big deal, right? And then I was going to see her that Wednesday, and I was really excited. And then she came over and broke up with me. <laughs> What? Those dildos are not cheap. It was like ninety dollars. Shit. Did she, you get like the glass one? Jesus. She bought it. No, oh. it was like a nice, just a nice silicone like one. Ninety dollars. Oh, Portland is expensive. <laughs> oh boy, niche, niche dildo. Now you're not community. selling me on Portland. No, yeah, it's really intense. If, if you were like all those things you said are true, but there's cheap sex toys, I'd be like, I'll consider it. No, not really. And uh, I was like pretty bummed about it, and she broke up just because she, um, she thought things were getting too serious. I think that the purchase of the dildo made it too serious for her not the meeting of the mom and the no, gay exactly. uncles that was not serious yeah. and uh then <laughs> she's got some shit to figure she, out that's what she said so i was like valid you do you definitely have things to work on it i don't really want to be here for this so i guess bye but then like i definitely texted her the next day i was like yo but can i actually get that dildo though because um you bought it for me right like because that's what she was saying yeah. she did buy it like for me and i was like so can I get that? Because like it's kind of like if you like a, if you proposed to me and gave me a ring and then the engagement broke, like we broke the engagement, I would get to keep that ring. Yeah, that's usually the standard. And she just never replied to that. Text. <laughs> like, do you have any jokes about this? Because I, I think okay. I said it once, and I was like, I was like, this is good. I was like, I, somehow I said something about how it, it was like one of those nice dildos, one of those ones you put in the foyer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I felt like it was you know really unfortunate that she didn't give it to me because I feel like possession is nine inches of the law <laughs> that was the one joke i have from it i like it but um i was bummed about that dildo never never got to see it again i wonder like, if I she ever remem- used it you're like i don't remember her name but that dildo is beautiful do you believe in the whole like um relationship juju staying on the dildos yeah 
Absolutely. Clean slate. I don't, but Clean slate. I believe yeah. I, I support you and your. Yeah. Cause honestly, if somebody, if I come to somebody's house and, um, you know, I have a joke about that where it's like my ex wanted all the sex toys and I was like, great. I was just going to throw them away. Cause oh, yes, like, I don't, I'm not going to offer this to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to like, cause you know, you know where it's been and, and that's. But if they're like top quality silicone that you can wash and like really sanitize like my, they're safe to use yeah most of my breakups i just want out Valid. like yeah. if i'm the one that's breaking up i want out and i give up everything mm-hmm. my first breakup my girlfriend that i had for um 23 to 27 all i wanted was the cat <laughs> i was like you can have all the furniture i just want this cat and i got Did the cat okay, yeah good. yeah i got him and yeah, so I lost everything, and so the sex toys were included in all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, like a year later, she was like, "Come by and get this box," and then I got some of my DVDs and stuff that she decided she didn't want, you know, <laughs> after that time. But otherwise, uh, the table, chairs, everything that didn't matter. I just, you know, that like I'm not. That. To me, it's not worth fighting over. No, for sure. Even yeah. if it was, ex- and none of it was expensive because we're young and broke. But right. even if it was, it's not. It's not worth it unless it's like a family heirloom or something that's irre- like the cat that's irreplaceable. But I'm just saying though, if you had spent like. $150 on a total like harness dildo set that fits your body well you feel really good with it I'm assuming a lot about your sex sorry I don't, <laughs> don't need to be the type of person who who really felt like you know then like then you're not gonna I, I would find it hard pressed to like throw all of that away and get a new $150 set for the next time you're in a serious relationship and you want to yeah. use it because because it has been in somebody else you don't get to throw away a dick like a real dick no. after it's been in somebody <laughs> you just hopefully wash it put a condom on it but like you can't just like throw that it's like the idea that like this relationship juju sticks on dicks forever or dildos is like funny to I me don't know. i'm kind of because i'm kind of old school it's like okay the thing with the, the harness though, i'm like some harnesses like that is hard to find it's hard to find like a, but the uh, dildo you could replace That's that true. shit yours is interesting because you never used it so mm-hmm. that is an unused purchase and you can't really return it like I even know. if it's unused you can't return exactly. it so that one i probably would have pushed a little harder than than one text for yeah um, but i'm i'm, I'm like... old school like i kind of believe like everyone you're with like uh, especially in a relationship or in love with like you give them a little piece of yourself mm-hmm. you know like i really do believe and a lot of people are like what's wrong with you like it's just you know it's 2018 and people hook up and it doesn't have to mean anything i'm like yeah but still it's you know oh yeah no it definitely means something i feel yeah that's oh i don't even want to get into that conversation (laughs) we don't have to go there you just talk about dildos for the rest of the time my friend uh my my older lesbian friend who was in a long-term relationship she um they broke up last year she was moving out of town because she she very much was like, I need to get rid of everything that reminds me of this person, including the city I live in, um, <laughs> and move somewhere else. But she had, they had bought a, a dildo, and it was too big. And so they had only used it once, and then just threw it in, like, a, a drawer. And it had been there for, like, years. And then when she moved, she was like, Jenna, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> like, I don't know where to recycle it. And I was like, I will take it. And it was, like, a $150 dick. And so I took it and just washed it extra good, and then I used it a bunch. But it was unfortunate because I use it for camming too, and I uh, so I basically just like suck it, you know, for the show. And so I kind of use my teeth a little bit because it's fun when just like having your mouth, and it's not it's not attached to anybody, so it's like whatever. And then uh, only after using it for like two months, I started looking it around like the kind of underneath the head part because this one did look like a dick. It it's like 
cracking all over because i think the silicone like got old by just like sitting in a drawer for years yeah because i didn't use it that much and now i'm like annoyed because now i can't use it because it wouldn't be sterile anymore because of like the crevices that yeah. i've created with the cracks yeah i thought you were gonna say something like it looked like a woodchuck had gotten to it yeah so at this point i'm gonna like kind of bend it and like you can like see in it so what do you do with it now, so now i still use it just to suck oh. on cam and now i bite it even more because i'm like fuck it yeah why not? <laughs> um otherwise you hang it on the wall and it'll make a nice coat hanger yeah or i'll take like nice like nudes with it I'll, like use it and take really sexy photos but i've actually gotten a lot of like free free dildos this way from other friends who've like two other ones from my friend uh d martin austin shout out to them they've given me two of their sex toys that they just didn't like um <laughs> they've given them to me and they're great and then i got a free one once from being a stunt cock for a how to give bj class that portland that my friend aj shout out to her <laughs> also does in portland have you ever heard of this before no like a how to give a blowjob class what is there a secrets that <laughs> there's just like yeah i don't even i, was, I don't like i'm not sure if this is even interesting <laughs> to any of your audiences but there's just well, like so, some of the audience would want to know <laughs> yeah because everyone um, assumes they're doing it right because they're like look mm-hmm. i'm putting my mouth on it like this should be sufficient no there's a lot of i've seen the grapefruiting it. thing which you oh know, my gosh yes it, that lady's amazing like so good oh my god ouch <laughs> Uh, yeah, but people, like, pay a lot of money to go to, like, a class where there's, like, 30 other people sitting in the same room listening to a a lady talk about (laughs) how to give the best blowjobs, all the, like, tricks and, like, anatomy and, like, how to, like, not tire your jaw (laughs) and use your eyes and hands and all these different ways. And in order to do that, she needs somebody to wear, um, a strap on so she can perform the things that she's talking about to the audience and I've done that twice and it's like the funnest thing I've ever done in my life because I get to kind of showboat and be a little bit like a comic too I kind of like get to joke around and say stuff as she's like sucking my dick and and I get to fake having an orgasm at the end it's really nice is that planned or is it like when you decide that she's done well she tells me yeah she's like okay now this is our final like demonstration of the night okay um and I want you to come and I think at different times we practice different ways, like asking for consent to like come on her face and asking, mm-hmm. can I come in your mouth? And like, because that's also what the class is about. It's just like all those different things that unfortunately a lot of people just like don't even think about. They're just like, I'm supposed to have it. I'm supposed to give oral. And if I, and if I give oral, I'm supposed to start from finish, do everything the way like porn has told me forever. And yeah. not, you know, like yeah. you can, as the person who's giving it, also has a say in what happens and also maybe get some enjoyment out of it versus like oh this is a thing that i'm told i'm supposed to do and he seems to enjoy you know it's you know because so many people want their partners to enjoy it so they just take their own pleasure out of it and that's not and then i mean that was the thing is a lot of you'd see a lot of these couples that come into it where the the male would be like just so like doesn't want it to be that way they don't just want to take that pleasure they actually really want their partner to have fun but they don't know how to like explain that to them yeah and so it's just a a whole thing yeah so they take this class portland's so cute like that there's just a lot of like things like that so can i ask about camming oh yeah when did you get into that only like three months three or four months ago pretty new to it not making a ton of money doing it, but um, yet because I need to get more of a following. But um, you can follow. Oh, I'm, can I name drop my cam? Oh my god, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is why we do these things. I was gonna ask you at the end to like promote yourself, oh, yeah. but okay, you can do I'll it in the middle, it, yeah. and then we'll repeat it at the I'll end. Repeat it at the end. I'm on Chatterbait, and I'm at 
citrus tits all spelled out just how you would think citrus tits <laughs> spelled out is that i'm it? really proud i got that name and didn't okay. have to add any numbers to it <laughs> I, was like, is it- I had just recently dyed my hair orange and so i just was like citrus tits i don't know <laughs> kind of nice but i am really into like public sex stuff and one of my like actual like kinks is exhibitionism and voyeurism so i don't i don't know why it took me so long to get into it because like i actually enjoy it not that other people don't yeah but some people do it just to do it or whatever and a lot of sex workers obviously really love it too and they love what they do so i'm not i'm not saying like i'm the only one that does that but I, for me i was like oh my god i should be doing this because i enjoy masturbating for other people <laughs> so <laughs> why am i not making money doing this so i don't know hopefully i'll be making more money eventually but i uh like the best I ever made once was like twenty five dollars an hour, but that's still pretty good. Yeah, how for do you masturbating? Um, so it's just how many viewers you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they tip tokens, bitcoins. I guess I don't really know. I'm so tech dumb too, so it's like, I feel like I could be doing better uh, marketing and what have you, and like having a Twitter account for it, and just so many things. Um, there's so much. Like, Sounds like comedy. Marketing. Yeah, there's so much marketing, and then you can like sell sell your Snapchat. Like you can create a sexy Snapchat that's different from your regular one, and then you can sell that to people so that you provide them with an X amount of like nudes for a certain price and it's like I could be doing that too because I like taking nudes and I don't have that many people to send them to which is a sad tragedy and <laughs> well, so... I think after this goes on the radio that that might all change <laughs> yeah and um yeah but I ha- when I do I'm on it I do have fun and people seem to really like my um my energy with it and it's clear that I'm having fun and like yeah, I'm you into actually want to like enjoy yeah. doing it and uh I just I hope I'm going to try to grow with it more and do more of it and try a different website too. I had another friend of mine who's doing it who suggests a different website and some marketing skills that I need to get better at. Yeah. When I said it's like comedy, I don't mean like it's comedy. I mean like it's comedy is doing your stand up, mm-hmm. but also marketing yourself. Oh, it like is. You are your own marketing department. Oh, yeah. And it sounds like that's the same thing for, for Cammy. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, how do you know, you can have the greatest set of your life and you can have the greatest, yeah. you know, I don't know what you, session, mm-hmm. is that what you would call yeah. it? And it, and nobody sees it. Yeah. Like what's the point? I, uh, one time I did actually tell, I was pretty buzz while I was doing it and I did tell some jokes. <laughs> it's pretty great. I was like, Y'all, I'm just going to start telling my jokes. And it was the weirdest thing because I was telling it to definitely, like, people watching, but no sound, you know? So it was, like, so weird to, like, where's my pause breaks and what have you? Because I don't actually practice comedy like that. I don't sit in my room and, like, say my jokes out loud. So that was foreign to me. But I got a lot of people that really liked them, though. And I did get tipped for it. And uh, that was fun. That's cool you get Bitcoins. I don't know if you know, like 50 Cent, one of his albums, he sold a bunch of them. He let people pay him Bitcoin and he forgot wow. that he had it. And that was like before Bitcoin Shit. blew up and he made, I think, like $7 million or Shit. I forgot the amount. So don't quote me on that no, I know, right? if I'm wrong. But it was just like this money sitting there and then all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, Bitcoin blew up. Oh, I have these ones over here. So, you know, it might actually take, Maybe. I don't know, people yeah. have all these different thoughts about about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And um, when did you start getting into stand up though? Uh, I've been doing it for uh, actually, oh shit. Maybe March 1st first was my second years. Second years? Wow, I'm so good at talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm just celebrating my second year anniversary doing oh, it. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I've been doing it only in Portland, and I've been having a really good time doing it. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. This is my first, like, festival that I've traveled for, and first kind of, like, real festival in a sense. I helped last year um, with 
the first ever Portland Queer Comedy Festival and um, with Belinda Carroll as one of the co-founders of that and I helped her do social media. Uh, she just like put it on, put me on it as a favor, I think. Oh, don't say that. Maybe, I don't comedy. know. Like, uh, give yourself some credit. Thanks, I don't know. But uh, then I ended up like, well, then I ended up killing it pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I, I definitely like, once I was on the festival, I then definitely I killed it. it. Yeah, I definitely killed it pretty good. And then... Um, <laughs> And then, and I also did so good in the social media that now she's made me the director of social media for this year. So we're when's gearing a, up. It's like, actually when's a festival? Yeah, July eighteenth through the twenty second in right. Portland, Oregon. Applications the, open? They are. Submissions actually just opened up last week. Thank you for, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Um, yeah. So you go to. It's all spelled out. PortlandQueerComedyFestival.com. Last year we had Guy Branum on it. We had Julie Goldman, Maggie May, Ant. I mean, some huge, huge comics, and then a lot of really great ones traveling from all over, and then some local comics, obviously. And it was huge. It was like four days, multiple venues. It was the best fucking time ever. So we're really excited for the second year. Um, so we're doing submissions right now. I think they're through April, and it's going to be really great. Yeah, and they're going to put you in it again. Yeah, you she's definitely going to put me in it again for sure. Social media director. And then I've been yeah doing the social media. Um, you can follow it at a PDX Queer Comedy Fest on Instagram is where we have a lot of the information. Nice. I love doing it. I'm a I'm really I'm I'm tech dumb on a lot of like weird things, but I'm really good at social media and marketing and just being on there it doesn't bother me at all like a lot of people don't like to look at their phone and see notifications i live that <laughs> shit dude i, I turn them like, all off validation and so... i can't i can't handle it i just you know i get texts oh, and get calls it. are the only things that pop up on my phone everything else i have all the apps but i have to click on them to make mm-hmm. it happen because i if my phone blinks in the middle of the night i'll get up and an- like i can't have anything blinking so funny yeah i know i guess people have that kind of anxiety i get it it's just not me i'm just like yeah it doesn't bother me to like create events and do things it's like what i live for so it's kind of nice so what got you to do stand-up like was this something you always thought you'd do yeah i was once about four five years ago i i randomly got asked to do a monologue for the vagina monologues and for a college production and i was given the monologue that's called my angry vagina and it's the one that's the most i would say like a stand-up set it's very much like just a woman up there ranting about all these things and it's very funny and I memorized it and just kind of went up there and did it uh, to the point where I had people come up to me after me afterwards and were like is, did you write that like is that yours like did you just like set your stand-up set and I was like no that's actually just somebody else's but it felt so <laughs> natural and good and it was really yeah something just like really clicked in that sense and I had done uh, high school drama and was always really good as far as uh I have zero stage fright and zero stage nerves, but I never really liked theater that much because I felt like it wasn't me. I had to be a character, and it took me years to realize that was what it was. I never, that I didn't stick with it. It was because I didn't want to be a character. I've struggled with that. On I was actually just talking to someone about when I tried to do improv Mm because I thought improv would help me uh, be more uh, on stage, move more, have better movements, like be more active, maybe do character impressions, all that stuff. And I realized I hated it, and Mm -hmm. I did because it's not authentic to me. Mm -hmm. Even if I maybe stand a little more still on stage than other comics, like I'm not Robin Williams (laughs) running all over the stage, but that's That's him. Yeah, that's, that's not me. So you kind of, and I do better when I more natural, mm-hmm. um, and that's what you tap into. So I'm not a good actor either because mm-hmm. I can't get into the character's mindset. But you do have a good stage presence, and it's, oh, thank you. And it's interesting that we're talking about it now because yeah, mm-hmm. like your jokes that I've heard the last two nights, if I can remember, I mean, all of them are about you. Yeah, and that's the same for me. It's very hard for me to write joke about 
something that you make out of whole cloth, like a, a situation. Like I, I could, I imagine, do it. And I definitely make social commentary on things that are happening. But the rest of it's just all jokes based on your own life and your experiences. Yeah, well, that way, number one, no one can say that I stole them because it's like, no, I was at that gynecologist and mm-hmm. this is what happened to me. And, and number two, I just, I find mine, those are funnier for me because they're more real for me. I noticed like a lot of the Portland comics, I'm here in San Francisco, a lot of the San Fran comics are here. There's a mm-hmm. bunch from Portland. There's some from LA and Washington. Yeah. Boston um, and, even yeah. and everyone seems to have a lot of political stuff mm-hmm. and I feel like maybe it's it's just me where like I actually get so angry that I can't make this funny mm-hmm. or I think also in New Orleans like we're not really as political and it's not really as politically minded as other places so yeah. I feel like that's just kind of you know what I'm coming out of yeah definitely but I think that's what's nice because then we can be authentic and we can be ourselves on stage and we don't necessarily have to worry about being this character yeah because you get to just you know share things about yourself and that's really cool and Mm -hmm. you know be like yeah i have full body hair head to toe fuck Mm -hmm. you if you don't agree with me like that's and that's great and you get cheers and and people you know maybe someone else who's thought about doing that but didn't have the Mm -hmm. guts to do it yeah i mean it's and like you said earlier like coming around on a uh, an experience that wasn't pleasant and then years later making it taking it back and making it therapeutic for yourself and then funny for people yeah. And in a way, funny for yourself. I talk a lot on stage about my body and also my sexual assaults. And I also talk about my dead parents. I talk about bullying. And I feel like there's one other major thing that's taboo. Oh, well, just being sexually promiscuous, I guess. People have trouble with that. And those things have really helped me. I mean, in so many ways, I've been the least like sad and depressed about my own issues since I started doing comedy. However, also, I've seen... My anxiety increased <laughs> tenfold since doing comedy. As far as like, do people like me? Am I doing this right? Once you let oh go of that, God, and I don't know stuff. how to, I don't know how to help you do oh, that. But, oh darn! Um, you know, once you can give, like, say, I think Jeannie Garofalo has it, where she's just like, once you can not give a fuck and mean it, like you can say that and mean it, it's gonna just open up the the world for you for sure. Right. But have you had people come up to you after shows and been like, I relate to you on oh, yeah. this and. I did a joke about my dead mom once at a bar and this man came up to me and he was crying and he was like, thank you so much. He's like, that exact thing that you talked about happened to me like last month. And it's such a random thing because it's basically the story, the joke's too long to do, but it's more or less me talking about the fact that I had a PB&J sandwich five feet from my dead mom's body because like after she died, we had to wait for the hospice people to like come and pick her up. And once you die in hospice, they don't rush anymore because you're dead. So we just had to sit with her and then you get hungry after two hours, but you don't want to leave because it's just like, it's such a intense moment. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Um, So I've made a joke about it and it's kind of a harsh one. I don't do it a ton because people don't, it's not that big of a payoff for it. But the times I have done it have been nice. And this one time this guy came up to me and he's like, she just passed away last month. And I also sat with her and had my lunch. And it was a very isolating experience for me. And I never thought I could really like talk to anybody about it. And I was like, and I told him, I was like, I hadn't either. She's been dead for like over 10 years. And I rarely talk about that specific situation, that specific moment of me sitting there eating that sandwich until I came up with that joke. And now I can talk about it without crying. Previous to that, <laughs> I would cry. Okay. So yeah, so progress. Like, <laughs> progress. And I remember the first time I did it on stage, I actually did almost cry because it was just so like, <gasps> yeah, like this moment. And like those are the moments I just like really like. Yeah. And the fact that he related to it was so powerful. I couldn't. I was like, I have to keep talking about this stuff because I get pushback sometimes from people for talking about 
some of these subjects and I'm not going to, I mean, cause ultimately my, my career goals aren't to become like a famous comedian. I actually don't really want to do that. I just want to have a platform where I can talk about these things to make myself selfishly feel better and to like have moments like that with people. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really great. I also think like Lori Kilmartin has this uh, special she just released called 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and the first one's like a really cheesy joke and she's like, buckle in, we have 44 more. Oh like this is, but I think it's like, it's one of those topics that people, we all have to deal with it at yeah. some point in our lives, unfortunately, at one point or another. And mm-hmm. I think it's been taboo to like really make jokes about it or talk about it before. But I think now that those things are kind of opening up where people are able to, you mm-hmm. know, where you can have that moment on stage and share it with somebody else and maybe have a little comic relief, even if it's for 30 seconds. exactly it's totally worth it to me all right well great place for us to end on dead mom jokes um but anyway can you just tell everybody where they can find you promote the fuck out of yourself oh you guys are so sweet you can follow me social media on all of the platforms i have the same uh username and it's jenna with a smile and you can find me on instagram twitter and snapchat everywhere that way um i'm also like i said Helping uh, social media promote for the Portland Queer Comedy Festival happening this July 18th to the 22nd. And we want everybody who falls under the umbrella of all of the alphabet soup that you can say. And we do have one straight show. So if you're a super ally and you think you're better than anyone else, definitely also submit. Um, Just there's a part where you can mention that in the application. Um, So we do have the one straight show because we do we do care about it. We're inclusive. We're inclusive. We're open to everybody. (laughs) I think that's about it. Oh, yeah. And on uh, Chatterbait, definitely follow me at Citrus Tits. And I do shows pretty sporadically. But when I do do them, I do them. And there might be jokes, too. Yeah, there might be jokes. (laughs) All right. And thank you, Mutiny Radio, for letting us do this.
Do you like roses or daisies? Because I want to know what flowers to buy to put on the casket when I murder that pussy. <laughs> to our sponsor copyyourcat.com is your cat old and boring are you yearning to relive those glory days of laser pointers and fake mice 
Get rid of that old bag of fur and get your fur baby back. By a scientific process that, frankly, we just cannot explain, now there's a way. Brought to you by the makers of the patented Mori Povich paternity test comes CopyYourCat.com. With our simple, easy-to-use DNA kit, you take three strands of your cat's hair, mix it in our catnip-infused secret formula, and three weeks later, voila, cat's out of the bag. For only three easy payments of $39.99, you can have a clone of your fur baby today. Act now, and we'll throw in a second set for free. CopyYourCat.com Thank you to our guest, Jenna Vesper, for sharing her world with you. Special thanks to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the show. Thank you to all our friends and supporters out there. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain live in New Orleans, Austin, and New York City. Check out our Facebook page for more information. Thank y'all! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.